Productions present Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. scarcely distinguished the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. He was endeavouring to pierce the darkness when the chimes of a neighbouring church struck. He listened for the hour. Twelve? It was past two when I went to bed. It isn't possible that I could have slept through a whole day and far into another night. Still foggy, still cold, no people running about. Scrooge thought it over and over and over and could make nothing of it. He lay in this state until the chime had rung three quarters, when he remembered that the ghost had warned him. You will be haunted by three spirits. Expect the first ghost when the bell tolls one. Quarter past. Half past. Quarter to it. The hour itself. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant. Scrooge, starting up into a half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man viewed through some supernatural medium, which gave him the appearance of having receded from the view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. What business brings you here, spirit? Your welfare. I am obliged, but I think a night of unbroken rest would have better served me to that end. Your reclamation, then. Take heed. Rise. And walk with me. Spirit, the weather and the hour are not suitable for pedestrian purposes. I'm clad but lightly in slippers, dressing gown and nightcap, and I believe that I have a cold upon me. No! No, I can't go through the window, Spirit. I'm immortal and liable to fall. Babe, let a touch of my hand, and you shall be upheld. A 
As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. The city had entirely vanished. The darkness and the mist had vanished with it, for it was a clear, cold winter day with snow upon the ground. Good heaven! I was a boy here. Spirit, lead me where you would. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognising every gate and post and tree. They left the high road by a well-remembered lane and soon approached a mansion of dull red brick. A large house, but one of broken fortunes. The walls were damp and mossy, the windows broken, the gates decayed. Entering the dreary hall and glancing through the open doors of many rooms, they found them poorly furnished cold and vast. The school is not quite deserted. A solitary neglected child is left there still. I know it. <laughs> Scrooge and the ghost went across the hall to a door at the back of the house. It opened before them and disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room made bare still by lines of plain, empty desks. At one of these, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat down upon a form and wept to see his poor forgotten <laughs> self as he used to be. Let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger and the room became a little darker. The panels shrunk, the windows cracked, and fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling. Scrooge knew that it was correct. Everything had happened so. There he was, alone, when all the other boys had gone home for the holidays. He was not reading now, but walking despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost and, with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced towards the door. It opened, and a little girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in, putting her arms about his neck. His sister, Fan, had come to bring him home for good. Your sister was always a delicate creature, whom a breath might have withered. But she had a large heart. So she had. You're right. I'll not gainsay it, spirit. God forbid. She died a woman and had children. One child. Your nephew. Yes. They were now in the busy thoroughfare of the city, where shadowy passengers passed, carts and coaches battled for the way, and all the strife and tumult of a real city were. Here too it was Christmas time. It was evening, and the streets were lighted up. Do you know this place, Ebenezer? Know it? I was a princess. Why, it's old Fezziwig. Bless his heart, it's Fezziwig alive again. Ho oh, there, Ebenezer! No more work tonight! Christmas Eve! Christmas! Let's have the shutters up. Before a man can say Jack Robinson. Yes, that's it. Well done. Clear away, my lads. And let's have lots of room here. The floor was swept, the lamps were trimmed, fuel was heaped upon the fire and the warehouse was as snug and warm and bright a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. 
There were dances and forfeits and more dances. There was cake and a great piece of cold roast and mince pies and plenty of beer. When the clock struck eleven, this domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig shook hands with every person as he or she went out and wished them a Merry Christmas. A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? Why, is it not? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Three or four, perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, Spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy to make our service light or burdensome. Say that his power lies in words and looks, in things so slight and insignificant that it is impossible to add and count them up. What then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. What is the matter? Nothing particular. No, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now, that's all. My time grows short. Quick! Again Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of life. His face had not the harsh, rigid lines of later years, but it had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. There was an eager, greedy, restless motion in the eye. The passion had taken root. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a young girl in a morning dress, in whose eyes there were tears. It matters very little to you, Ebenezer. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, I have no cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you, Belle? A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world. There is nothing on which it is so hard as poverty, and there is nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of his sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off, one by one, until gain engrosses you. Have I not? Even if I have grown wiser, then what then? I'm not changed towards you, am I? Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so, until we could improve our worldly fortune. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. You were not what you are, I am. That which promised happiness when we were one in heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often have I thought this? I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it. Have I ever sought release? In words? No. Never. In what, then? In a changed nature. An altered spirit in everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had never been between us, tell me. Would you seek me out and try to win me now? No. You think not? I would gladly think otherwise if I could. Heaven knows. When I have learnt a truth like this, 
I know how strong it must be. But if you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, can I believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. May you be happy in the life that you have chosen. Show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight in torturing me? I told you these were shadows of the things that have been. But they are what they are. Do not blame me. I cannot bear it. Leave me. Take me back. Hold me no longer. Scrooge was conscious of being exhausted. And, further, of being in his own bedroom. He'd barely time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. <coughs> when the bell struck one and no shape appeared, Scrooge was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Five minutes. Ten minutes, a quarter of an hour went by, yet nothing came. All this time he lay upon his bed, and the very centre of a blaze of ruddy light streamed upon it when the clock proclaimed the hour. At last he began to think that the source of this ghostly light might be in the adjoining room. Ebenezer Scrooge, enter! Come in! It was his own home. There was no doubt about that. But it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove. From every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. The crisp leaves of holly, mistletoe and ivy reflected back the light. Heaped upon the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, great joints of meat, mince pies, plum puddings, red-hot chestnuts, immense twelfth cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. Upon this couch there sat a jolly giant who bore a glowing torch and held it up high to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. Come in and know me better, man. I am the ghost of Christmas presents. It was clothed in a simple green robe bordered with white fur. Its feet were bare, and on its head it wore no other covering than a holly wreath. Its dark brown curls were long and free, as free as its genial face, its cheery voice, its joyful air. You have never seen the like of me before. Never. Spirit, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night on compulsion. And I learnt a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have anything to teach me, let me profit by it. Hang on to my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held it fast. They stood in the city streets on Christmas morning. The poulterers' shops were still half open, and the fruiterers were radiant in their glory. 
But soon the steeples called good people all to church and chapel, and away they came, flocking through the streets in their best clothes and with their gayest faces. They went on, invisible as they had before, into the suburbs of the town. On the threshold of a certain door, the spirit smiled and stopped to bless the household. Bob Cratchit's house. Up rose Mrs Cratchit and she laid the cloth, assisted by Belinda Cratchit, youngest of her daughters. While Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes. Where has your precious father got to? And your brother, Tiny Tim. There's father now. In came Bob, the father, his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Tiny Tim bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. Hi-ho, everyone. Hello, my love. Come with me, Tim. You can hear the pudding in the copper. It's singing. And how did little Tim behave? (laughs) As good as gold. He told me coming home that he hoped people saw him in church. And it might be pleasant for them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. I think he's growing stronger. Robert, can you fetch the goose? Yes, my dear. Belinda, won't you sweeten the apple sauce? Would you be a dear and set the chairs? Yes, mother. Thank you. Peter, have you finished mashing the potatoes? Almost, mother. Here's the goose. At last the dishes were set on and grace was said. When dinner was done, Mrs Cratchit entered with the pudding like a speckled cannonball, blazing in half of half a quart of ignited brandy with Christmas holly stuck into the top. After pudding, all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth. Bob served a hot concoction of gin and lemons while the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and crackled noisily. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us, everyone. <coughs> Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered, the child will die. No, no, oh no, kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race will find him here. What then? If he's going to die, he'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Forbear such wicked thoughts until you've discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live? What men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven, you are less fit to live than this poor man's child. I give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. (laughs) The 
pounder of the feast indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I'm sure, on which one drinks to the health of such an odious, dingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. My dear, Christmas Day. Oh, I'll drink for his health, for your sake. And the days, not for his. Long life to him, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. To Mr Scrooge. To Mr. Scrooge. To Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. <coughs> now then, Peter, I have been told of apprentice position at the shipping offices which needs to be filled. I have put in a word for you. If it comes to pass, you'd be on five and sixpence weekly. Five and sixpence? <laughs> Peter's going to be a man of business. There was nothing of high mark in this. They were not well dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof. But they were happy, grateful, and contented with the time. And when they faded, Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim, until the last. By this time it was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily. And as Scrooge and the spirit went along the streets, the brightness of the roaring fires in kitchens, parlours and all sorts of rooms was wonderful. It was a great surprise to Scrooge to suddenly hear a hearty laugh. It was a much greater surprise to him to recognise it as his own nephew's and to find himself in a bright room with the spirit standing smiling by his side, looking at that same nephew. <laughs> he said that Christmas was a humbug, as I live. <laughs> he believed it too. <laughs> More shame for him, Fred. He's a comical old fellow. Not as pleasant as he might be. However, his offences carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I'm sure he is very rich, Fred. At least you always tell me so. What of that, my dear? His wealth is of no use to him. He doesn't do any good with it. Doesn't make himself comfortable with it. I have no patience with him. I have. I am sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself. He takes it in his head to dislike us and won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? He loses some pleasant moments which could do him no harm. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not. He may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it if he finds me going there in good temper year after year and saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? After tea, they had some music, and after a while they played at forfeits. For it is good to be children sometimes, and never better than at Christmas. They played a game called Yes and No, 
with Scrooge's nephew have to think of something, and the rest must find out what. He only answering to their questions yes or no. Is it uh, a horse? No. A pig? Certainly not. I have found it out. I know what it is, Fred. An animal that grows, grunts and talks sometimes and which lives in London. It's your Uncle Scrooge. It is. (laughs) He has given us plenty of merriment and it would be ungrateful not to drink to his health. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man. He wouldn't take it from me, but he may have it. Uncle Scrooge! Uncle Uncle Scrooge. Scrooge! Scrooge and the spirit were again upon their travels. Much they saw, far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. It was strange that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew clearly older. Scrooge observed this change when, looking at the spirit as they stood together, he noticed that its hair was grey. Our spirit's life so short. My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight at midnight. The chimes were ringing three quarters past eleven at that moment. As the bell struck twelve, Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley. You will be haunted by three spirits. Lifting up his eyes, he beheld a solemn phantom, draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. Valiant Films, Dramatic Moose, and Watchers Productions present Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Starring A.J. King, Jez Hines, Lisa Grace, Samuel Rush, Amanda Parker, Shaz Lancaster, Jennifer Baines Higgins, Isabel Rose Berman, Daniel Middleton, Josh Flynn, Gavin Rand and Liz Keach. Silent Night, performed by Liz Keach. Adapted for audio by Terence Marshman Edwards, Matthew Ford and Matthew Fisher. Original score by Andrew Gallagher. Produced by Ben Wilson, Christopher Maxwell, Rhys Jones and Teddy Smith. Edited by Emily Lawrence and Rhys Jones. Directed by Teddy Smith.